Amen. Good morning. It is good to see you on this warm, balmy Sunday. Amen. You sound balmy as well. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Well, if you are, I want you to take out your Bibles, please, and I want you to go to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, if you'll turn there, please. Um, and as you are turning there, I just want to, again, reiterate um, about next week's Golden Isles Bible Conference. I want to encourage you to be there. Um, and then I want to tell you about on January 28th, we have a deacon's ordination service. We'll be in the evening at 6 p.m. in Twitty Chapel, and everybody's invited to that. You have called out two men in our church, uh, Cameron Best and Brad Chapman, uh, to serve as deacons. And so we are going to uh, ordain them. And so um, we want to encourage you to be there because it is, um, it's a church-wide uh, thing. And so you called out two men. And so I just want to encourage you to be there and celebrate what God is doing in uh, their lives. And so Genesis chapter 4, as we are in the second part of our series um, this morning called Open the Door in 24. Now, why? are we in this series, Open the Door in 24? It's very simple. Door rhymes with four. That's the reason. Amen? That's the reason. And so, but no, we're looking at Open the Door in 24 because uh, we're looking at this new year as a door of opportunity, uh, a door where that you can walk through and become all that God wants you to be. And so last week, we looked at the opening of the door of Scripture, and we encouraged you to begin to memorize and meditate upon Scripture, and we encouraged you to eat M&Ms on a daily basis. How many of you have kept that one so far? We are the greatest overachievers in the world. We had three people, okay? Three people ate M&Ms every day this week, so that's awesome. Thank you for you who are doing that. But we are encouraging you uh, to memorize and meditate upon a scripture. And we launched a two, two-and-a-half-year scripture memory plan last week where we're learning two scripture verses every month. And this month we're learning 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 2.20. And so I want to encourage you to memorize those, memorize those, share those in your small group, and let's memorize scripture and let's eat M&M's. Amen? How many like the M&M's, the peanut M&M's? Okay, you are awake. How many of you like the caramel M&M's? Really? <laughs> peanut butter M&M's? How about the regular M&M's? All right, how many of you have, how about an M&M blizzard? That counts, right? All right, anyways, all right, very good. So eat your M&Ms today, all right? Well, I want us to look at, at Genesis chapter 4 as we uh, continue the series of uh, looking at open doors. Because what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at opening the door uh, to holiness. And what I mean by open the door to holiness is this. Open the door, I want you to hear me out, to do what's right. To do the right thing. We could all learn to do the right thing. Amen? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 4. This is a story that, that all of you probably know. As a matter of fact, this story, the story of Cain and Abel, it's a story that even if uh, you haven't read the Bible or don't know much about the Bible, you know Genesis chapter 4 because most people know that Cain killed Abel. 
Most people know that story. And here's how we know that people know that story, because um, this, this story has, has entered into our language as a synonym for, for trouble-keeping. Have you ever heard the phrase, raising Cain? Where did that come from? It comes from all the way back to the first boy that was born on, on planet Earth. And that phrase, raising Cain, what does that mean? When you use that, uh, uh, that phrase, what that means is you're, uh, you're, you're messing things up and you're a little, uh, a little hellion, if you will. That's what it means. And that phrase actually comes from actually a pretty good source. Because this source, scripture tells us that this story of Cain and Abel, it is a very dark and tragic story. This is a hard story to really comprehend within uh, the, the wise counsel of God's word. Well, we're going to do our best to work our way through this text, this story. But what I want you to see from Genesis 4, from verses 1 through 16, the heat is on Cain. The heat is on Cain to do what's right. Um, as I was preparing this message, I, I almost named uh, the title to this sermon, The Heat Is On. And I don't know if anybody remembers that song, The Heat Is On. You remember that, that song? Uh, that came from a movie, um, I don't recommend, um, Beverly Hills Cop, Eddie Murphy, I'm about to age myself, 40 years ago. But that song, The Heat Is On, was written for that movie. And uh, the producers of that movie, um, they hired a, a nobody, Glenn Fry from the Eagles. Uh, he's a somebody, isn't he? Listen, they paid him $15,000 to record that song. And lo and behold, that song, The Heat Is On, became one of the uh, greatest hits of that decade. What decade was that? That was the 80s. But it made millions and millions of dollars. I want you to listen to these lyrics, because they're, they're powerful lyrics. <laughs> Are you ready? The heat is on. The heat is on. The heat is on. <laughs> it's on the street, inside your head on every beat, and the beat's so loud it's deep inside, because the pressure's high just to stay alive. Aren't those great lyrics? <laughs> well, the heat is on in our text. Because there is one man in our text that Satan has put his eyes upon and the heat is on. And so we're going to look at Cain. And we're going to see if Cain can choose to do the right thing. And there may be some of you here today where you may be in a situation where you're having to wrestle with, can I do the right thing? Or you are in the crosshairs of Satan himself and, and you are being tempted and you are being um, tried to be persuaded to do something. But here's the question of the morning. Can you do the right thing? Because the heat is on. Well, let's look at our text. We're going to read this text. I'm going to give some commentary to it. And at the end, I'm going to give us four uh, application uh, points. And if you're ready, ready to hear God's word this morning, please say amen. amen. Verse number one, and it reads, Now Adam knew Eve. 
his wife, and she conceived, and she gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Verse 2 said this, and again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. I want you to write this down. It's not on the screen, but I want you to write this down. The first family begins with hope. The first family begins with hope. Now, why do we say that? Let's remember what happened prior to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, there's creation. God says it's good. He comes to creating male and female, and he says it is very good. In Genesis chapter 3, he has them in the Garden of Eden, and and God says you can can eat of everything but this tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden of of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that. And we know um, that the serpent that we know as Satan comes and tempts Eve. She eats of the fruit, passes it on uh, to Adam, and all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the world, and since then, the world has totally changed. It's completely different, and we're all under the curse of sin because of what took place in Genesis chapter 3, and if you remember, in Genesis 3, God does a couple of things to to Adam, to Eve, and to the serpent. To Adam, he curses Adam and says, you are going to work, and it's going to be hard work. You're going to till the ground, there's going to be thorns, and it's not going to produce the food that you want, and you're going to have to sweat you're going to have to work hard. Well, that's what we have to do now because of sin. Uh, To Eve, ladies, you know what God says to the ladies? It's going to be painful to give birth. And all the ladies say, all right, it's painful. But he says something to the woman. He says this, but I'm going to give you a promise. Isn't that right? He says, but I'm going to give you a promise because there's going to be a seed that comes from you and that is, there's going to be enmity. There's going to be a, a battle. There's going to be a struggle uh, between your seed and, uh, and the seed or of serpent, Satan's seed as well. And God also then says to the woman, he says, and your desire is also going to be for that man that you would want to continually overthrow that man. That's all part of the Genesis chapter 3 the curse. And then God gives them the curse, and then God, what does he do to them in the Garden of Eden? What does he do? He he kicks them out. They lose the most beautiful place in all of the earth. And so they've left under a curse. They've lost their home. They had to get new clothes that God made for them, but God left them with a promise, with hope. And here in verse number one of Genesis chapter four, hope arrives. Hope arrives. She conceives. And I'm imagining if they go back to what God said in Genesis chapter three, that there is going to be a seed. And so Adam and Eve, they celebrate, just as parents, whenever we read the story, it brings to our mind the, uh, the joy when we, when we heard that we were gonna be parents for the very, very first time. This is what's going on with Adam and Eve. They're excited, there's, there's hope, there's joy in the world. There's no longer uh, this, this curse, but we're seeing the seed and it's joy. And moms and dads, we can remember that, that moment, right? I remember when um, Angela and I, when, when she was pregnant with, with Abigail, and, and we wanted to surprise Angela's mom with the announcement. 
So we invited her mom out to Atlanta where we were living and we put two baby bottles together. We didn't know um, whether Abigail was gonna be a boy or girl at the time, so we had pink M&Ms. We had blue M&Ms. And then we had a bib that said grandma on it. We put it in a little box and a present and uh, we gave it to Angela's mom. Now, by the way, we had a dog at the time by the name of Titan. All right, just remember that. We give the gift to Angela's mom. She opens it up, looks at the M&Ms, has no clue what they represent, opens up the bib that says grandma, and she looks at our dog Titan and says, I'm so happy to be your grandma, Titan. <laughs> it was the most depressing uh, baby announcement in the world. <laughs> but there's joy. Moms, dads, grandparents, there's joy when a baby comes. Because moms and dads, what do you do when you realize that you're going to be a parent? You start, you start dreaming, don't you? You start thinking of all the things that they are going to become. You think of all of these great things, great dreams for your son and for your daughter, that they are going to leave a mark on this world. Adam and Eve are thinking the same thing, but little do they know that Cain is going to leave a mark. But it's the mark, it's the mark of broken dreams and broken hearts. Moms and dads, can that still happen today where your sons and your daughters can break your heart? Students, we can, we can break our parents' hearts. It really doesn't take much, does it, moms, dads, grandparents? It doesn't take much. But from chapter, excuse me, from verse one to verse two, we go from extreme highs, the joy, the hope, and we work our way down to everything is absolutely broken. And we have the first family in all of history started out so good, and now we're gonna read that a brother kills his own brother. That's bad. Amen? This is a tough text. And we see what's going on. Let's continue reading verse number two again. She gave birth to his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Let me do a little word uh, study with you uh, real quick. You see that word tiller where it references Cain? Cain was a farmer. Uh, the Latin word for farmer is uh, pegasus, which is where we end up getting our English word pagan from. Where did our word pagan come from? How did that get into our vernacular? Well, when Rome was in charge, they wanted everybody to follow them. But there was a certain group of people who did not follow Rome, and they rejected Rome, and they were the tillers of the land. They were the farmers of the land. They were the Pegasus, they were the farmers, and what Rome began to call the farmers who were the rejectors of Rome, they called them pagans. And so in our vernacular, the word pagan is a rejecter of all things related to our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Amen? Cain 
is the first pagan. You read in the New Testament, it talks about the way of Cain, that if you go the way of Cain, you have chosen the ways of the evil one. And we see that all the way here in the beginning in Genesis chapter four, verse two. Pick up verse number three and it says this. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. So apparently the first church, excuse me, the first family, they go to church together. And after the first meeting of the church, the family has a fight. You see it? Cain gave an offering. Verse four, Abel on his part, he brought of the first things of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now you know the story, you know what's going on. Cain gives this offering of the fruit. Abel gives um, an offering of, of the field and it's the best and it's the first. God accepts Abel's offering offering but doesn't accept Cain's offering. And the text says this, is that Cain's face became visibly red. His face fell. And when it says that he became angry, uh, the Hebrew word for angry is hurrah. But when you read it in the original language, it says this, Cain, hurrah, hurrah. What do you think that means? That dude is angry. He is mad, he is frustrated, and he's frustrated, why? Because his offering has been what? It's been rejected. Who's rejected it? God's rejected it. Why, and this may be one of the biggest um, uh, difficulties in our text, is why did God reject Cain's offering, yet received Abel's offering? Why is that? Our text isn't explicitly clear. We have commentators that will say certain things, but but if you were to jump over to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11, verse number four, it's on the screen behind me as well. Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 in what's called the hall of faith says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a what type of sacrifice? A better sacrifice than Cain did. Now, whatever we can come up with about Cain's offering and about Abel's offering, here's what we do know from Scripture, because Scripture will always interpret Scripture. Scripture tells us this about Cain's offering, that he did not offer it in faith. Which means, I want you to listen to me, which means that Cain was only going through the motions and God rejected it. Hmm. But with Abel, he receives Abel's offering because Abel gave it in faith. And when you look at our text, look back at verse number four. It says, Abel on his part brought his offering. And in verse five it says, and Cain brought his offering. It tells us this, that when God is writing this story in Genesis chapter four, he begins with the person and then talks about the offering. That's so important that God begins with the person and then looks at the offering. Here's what we do as mankind. Here's what we do as humanity. Here's what we do as churches. We always look to the outside appearance first, amen? 
We look to what's good. We look to what's, what is going to look good, what is, what is going to look good for humanity, but that's not what God does. God always looks to the heart. And so when it comes to this story, when it comes to the offering, we have to look at what's going on in the heart. And the reason God rejects Cain's offering is because he has a heart issue. And here's the reality. I want you to listen to me. Y'all still with me? Say amen. If you have a defective heart, you will have defective worship. If your heart is not right, your worship's not right. And God is looking at your heart. So this morning, when you come in, when you came in, and you came in to worship, some of you may have been distracted or distraught and you weren't able to focus and and you know this when you can't focus it's hard to worship amen but when we come into a worship service our goal when we come in here is that we make sure that our hearts are right with God our hearts are right with one another so that we can lift up our voices to our heavenly father and our worship will be received amen that's why we're here That's why we come, to be right with God and to be right with others. And here we see in Genesis chapter four, we see that Cain is not right with God and he's not right with his brother. And we see that Cain's got a big problem. Well, look at verse number six. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? Verse seven, if you do well, will, you, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Verse eight, and Cain told his brother Abel. Now we don't know what Cain said to his brother. We don't know, but it came about when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. I want you to write this down because this is so important. Unresolved anger destroys relationships. And this is what we see here. Unresolved anger will destroy relationships. And this is how God pictures this, okay? This is how God pictures it. He gives us a word picture in verse number seven. The word picture is sin is crouching at your door. Whenever you have unresolved anger or you have unresolved emotional off, God gives us a picture that this is like sin crouching at your door. And it's a picture of a lion waiting to pounce. Does anybody here in this room, does anybody have a, have a cat? <laughs> does anybody in this room really, and I mean really, love cats? Huh. By the way, I'll tell you this, for Christmas this year, some of my lovely church members gave me some gift, some presents. One present was some napkins, some dinner napkins, with cats on them. (laughs) Thank you. Another family gave me a calendar with cats on them, (laughs) to which I say, 
the Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs> but what I really want to say is, <laughs> that's really what I want to say. <laughs> but this is the picture. I mean, and seriously, if you, if you do have cats, cats pounce. They, they get on the door frame, they, they hide, and when you least expect it, they bite the dog out of your ankle. <laughs> they scratch you, they claw you, and I would kick them across the side of the room, but uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. I would pick it up and stroke it to death. But here it goes. Here's, here's, here's the point. But this is what God is, this is the picture for us. This is the picture. God says to Cain, because of your unresolved anger, because of your unresolved issues, because you haven't resolved an issue with an individual, a family member, because you aren't taking care of yourself emotionally, because you are redirecting your frustration with our Heavenly Father, and you're redirecting it on the people that you love, because you're doing these things, because you're not taking care of yourself mentally or emotionally, here's what happened. Sin is ready to prounce. And he paints this picture. And when he's telling this to Cain, he's actually encouraging him. He's letting him know, he's saying, Cain, you're, you're, you're my son, you're, you're, you're created in my image, and I want to let you know that, that I know it's on the other side of the door, but I'm telling you, something is waiting for you. Something is waiting for you. And he's telling, he's telling Cain this, he's saying, you're walking too close to the line. And college students, high school, middle school students, this is something that our parents try to talk to us a lot as students is, is they tell us, you know, we don't need to go certain places or we don't need to do certain things. And uh, in our pride and in our arrogance, what we'll do is we'll get up as close as we possibly can to that area where we're still in the yes, but the no is just two inches away. Are you with me? Parents, are you with me? You get right up to the line. It reminds me of the story of a dad and a son. The dad told the son, he said, son, don't go swimming in the river. The boy said, yeah, okay, dad, no problem, no problem. That night, the son comes home and he's soaking wet. The dad said, son, why are you wet? And the son said, well, I went swimming in the river. And the dad said, well, I told you not to go swimming in the river. Why, why did you do that? And the son said, well, because I walked down to the river and I took my swimming clothes. Well, why did you take your swimming clothes? And the boy said, well, I took my swimming clothes because I wanted to be prepared if I was tempted to jump in. <laughs> what that means is he was walking the line and he was preparing to sin the second he walked out the door. And sin is crouching at the door. Are you with me? Sin is crouching at the door. And God says, you don't go there because he goes on to tell him. He says, its desire is for you. It's for you. That sin, it wants you. It wants to destroy you. You think it looks really good. You think by eliminating your brother, it's going to be great. You're going to have all the freedom. Your mom and your dad are going to love you more than everything. And you think you'll have everything. And this is what sin does. It sells you a bill of goods. It says it is so much better if you do it this way. 
Don't do it, God says. You, you do it your way. You do it your own way. You, you do what feels good. You do what you think is right. You don't, you don't worry about anybody else. You do it this way. And sin paints this beautiful picture. But here's the reality of sin. It wants to destroy you. It wants to harm you. It wants to enslave you. As a matter of fact, it wants to kill you. Jesus comes along later in John 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And the reality is that when you sin, you are choosing the door of death and destruction. And sin will take you way further than you ever wanted to go with it. Amen? And so God says, it's at the door, it wants, to, it wants to take you out. And then what God says to Cain, he says it to us as well, he says this, but you must master it. That means, actually you do have some control over it. I can't remember the name of the comedian, but he said, I think Flip Wilson, is that right? Who said this, the devil made me do it. Right, do you remember that? Students, you have no idea, but agree with me. Yeah, the devil made me do it. Comedian. Folks, that's, that's a lie. That's a lie. The devil didn't make you do it. Your boyfriend didn't make you do it. Your girlfriend didn't make you do it. Your boss didn't make you do it. Who did it? Okay, who did it? Look at your neighbor and say, you did it. That's the reality. And God says, you must master it. Well, what does Cain do? In verse 8, it tells us, Cain, he ignored what God said, and he did what he wanted to do, and he killed his brother. The way that Hebrew is worded, it's actually, the phrase implies that this was a sudden and surprise attack. This is called fratricide, the killing of your brother. Just let that sink in for just a second. Cain killed his brother. I have a brother. He's eight years older than I am. Um, we have a good relationship. Um, it was a really, really, really good relationship, but when he was a senior and I was, I don't know, fourth grade, um, it was a terrible relationship. You don't know why? Because he had a senior ring. How big are senior rings? Big. So whenever he would walk by me, he would turn the ring upside down. Bam! Just knocked me on the head. And we had some fights. But I never wanted to kill him. Sin is crouching at your door. And God says, it wants to devour you. It wants to take over you. And God says, you need to master it which means you need to get under control. And you need to make sure that your anger, 
your emotional stability, whatever it may be, it needs to be checked. Because if not, sin is ready to attack. Well, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. And it says this. Then the Lord said to Cain, Cain, where is your, what? Where's your brother? And look at the audacity of the words of the brother of Cain. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Do you see the arrogance? And then God says, and God calls him out. He says, Cain, what have you done? And this is what he says. And I want you to listen to this because this is how God views murder. He said, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me. Meaning that his blood speaks. What speaks to the value of life that God has in life. You don't kill. Why? Because there's life in the blood. The blood speaks. And if you make that transition all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ, the only way that we can find life is in the blood because the blood of Jesus speaks. It speaks to us and it calls us. And God says, Cain, you messed up. And what does Cain do? He he denies responsibility. He says, I didn't do it. I was uh, reading an article, um, I think it was on Time Magazine, it was online, but the article was titled, Busy Bodies and Crybabies. What's happening to the American character? And inside it, it said this, we have become a nation of finger pointers. It goes all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it? We're just like our ancestors. We're just like Cain. We're just like Eve. We're just like Adam. Well, what does God do? In the rest of the text, and I'm not going to dive into this, but in the rest of the text through verse 16, God does this. He puts a mark on Cain. You know what that mark is? The mark is this. Nobody is supposed to kill Cain. And in reality, that is nothing but a grace mark. Did God have the right to take Cain out immediately? You bet he did. But in his grace, he said, I'm going to let you live. But then he does this. He sends him off away from his family, and Cain becomes a wanderer. And you read about Cain's lineage, you will see that it is nothing but Death, destruction, rejection, and it is a civilization of pagans. 
all because he did not master the sin that's crouching at his door. Wow. Let me give you four things this morning, and then we'll be done. Let me give you four application points from this text. Number one, number one, everybody is tempted. Everybody has sin that crouches at the door. Doesn't matter your age, your stage, your spiritual maturity, your spiritual immaturity. Everybody is tempted. Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says this, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. That phrase common to man means that we're all in the same boat. All of us are tempted. All of us experience pressure on the outside. All of us experience thoughts in our minds that do not line up with scripture. All of us have thoughts that that don't line up with what God wants us to believe or wants us to do. Uh, All of us experience uh, things that, uh, or ideas or thoughts that that we need to cheat, that we need to think about ourselves, but all of us are tempted. We're all in the same boat. This is one of the reasons why we as a church, we we emphasize small groups and uh, Sunday small groups. We emphasize uh, D groups or groups of two or three because we want you to share with one another what your struggles are. You know, we live in a world today that uh, because of some uh, different thoughts and different beliefs um, in our culture that, that our culture has created what is called safe places. You may know what I'm talking about. Safe places where if your feelings get hurt, you can go into a corner, you can go cry. You know what I'm talking about? Safe place. Listen, I want you to listen to me. The safest place should be right here in the church of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because all of us are tempted. All of us sin. All of us have the same struggles. We have the same difficulties. But yeah, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, we get embarrassed. Another reason why we don't offer our difficulties with other people, and I want you to listen to me, church, is because too many times we've shared our difficulties with somebody and somebody ratted us out. Are you with me? Now, I'm not talking ratted us out as if we broke the law. Listen, if you broke the law and you tell me you broke the law, okay, we're calling the police. I mean, that's just what you do, right? But if you haven't broken the law, you haven't, and you begin to share, the church, listen, and somebody confides in you, you keep it. You don't go post it. You don't go back to your small group and you don't talk about it. Do you know why? Because you struggle just as much as that other person struggles. Isn't that right? Everybody's tempted. Nobody's perfect. We will never reach glorification. We'll never reach sanctification and glorification on this side of eternity. It's only going to be when we see Jesus face to face and we have our glorified bodies to which we all say, thank you, Jesus, Jesus, come quickly. But until then, sin crouches at your door. Here's the second thing I want to point out to you this morning. And it's this about our text. Is that others are affected by my life's choices. Others are affected by my life. When you read the story of Cain and Abel, what you see here is that as, ind- as people, we are not independent people. We are not dependent to people. We are interdependent. We need one another. 
We depend upon one another. And whatever you do, listen, students, listen, you, this is one thing you gotta learn. Students, you, whatever you do, it affects other people, amen? It affects other people. Um, I'll give you a real quick example. The other day, um, went to the uh, Brunswick High Glenn Academy basketball game, and uh, there was an individual who sat behind me and some other church members, and they had no idea what personal space meant. Those of you who are sitting next to us, you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and that person had no concept of, of the things that they were saying and the things that, they had no idea. And it was some of the foulest, rude, disgusting, horrific things. And in my mind I'm going, does he not know that there's people around? There's no concept. And I'm just thinking about this and thinking about this message. And, and, and here's what I see so often in our world today that we've lost the concept of what we do actually does affect other people. What you say hurts or lifts up people. And this idea that the world has given us that you can do whatever you want to do. Folks, listen, that's, yes, you can, but you're going to burn a lot of bridges that way. And scripture says this, no, no. Your life affects other people. And here's the reality. You, you really can't say whatever you want to say. Because scripture says only speak that which builds up and lifts up. To sing psalms and spiritual songs and do that which lifts one another up. And you may say, well, pastor, I, I think you're wrong. I can do and I can say whatever I want to say. That's right, but you'll be in disagreement with scripture because you know what my Bible says and what your Bible says? It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Anybody know what memory verse that is? Ah, you ate your M&Ms, Galatians 2.20 from this week. But as believers in Jesus Christ, you have died to yourself so that you no longer do what you want to do. It's Christ in you. You've died. You've been buried. When you go through the baptism waters, it's a symbol of what's taking place in your life. You walk in as the old self. The old self, do whatever you want to do. Why? Because you're the king. You're the God of your life. Do whatever you want to do. Walk in sin. That's the only thing that you can do before Christ. But when you walk into the waters, you're making a statement that's a picture that you are identifying with Jesus' death, which means you yourself are dying. And when he's put into the tomb, you are buried under the water. You're taken under the water, signifying, symbolizing that you too are dying to sin. You're dying to what you want to do. You're dying to yourself. I mean, I'm not going to say what I want to say. I'm not going to look at what I want to look at. I'm not going to listen to what I want to. Why? You've died. Because I've been crucified with Christ. And Paul says it. It's for us as well. And I no longer live. 
but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith for the one who gave himself up for me. I've died. What we do matters and it affects other people. And then here's the last one. I said four, I'm gonna give you the, the third one. And, and, this, and this, this, this will be it. Here's what we can learn from this story as well. Is that even the worst of sinners can be forgiven, which is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a minute ago I mentioned to you that one of the things that happened to Cain, after he murdered his brother, God called him out, uh, Cain denied responsibility. Uh, God said, listen, I hear your brother speaking. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put a mark on you so that nobody can kill you. And I told you it's a grace mark. Now, I happen to believe that one of the reasons God did automatic, automatically kill Cain is because he was giving him a chance. Because the worst of sinners can be forgiven. And I believe that if Cain, if Cain would have taken responsibility for his sin, acknowledged it, and then fell on his knees in humility before God the Father and said, God, Father, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Do you know what God our Father would have done? He says, I forgive you. I forgive you. forgive you. And God, from this story in Genesis, Genesis 3, Genesis 4, from this point on all throughout scripture, it's the story of God offering forgiveness to those who come to him in humility and say to him, I'm sorry. I've sinned. Will you please forgive me? And when you do that, here's what the Bible says, that he'll wipe all of your sins away as far as the east is from the west, and he will remember your sins, what? No more. And you will no longer be drenched in the death and the darkness of sin, but instead you will be white, white as snow. Oh, because God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay in the depths of sin. He wants you to know he loves you. He died for you. And he wants you to simply die to yourself and live for him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, I thank you for this story of Cain and Abel. I, I, I thank you that it tells us our, our beginnings, that, that our beginnings aren't good. That the fall so radically altered everything. Your word says that creation moans and groans and awaits your return. And creation longs to be back to normal. And Father, so do we as 
humanity, but oh, so many people have chosen the way of Cain. They've chosen rejection. They've chosen to deny responsibility. They've, they've chosen death. They've chosen destruction. They've chosen to live a life of, of a pagan. Oh, Father, if there's somebody here this morning who has chosen the life of being a pagan, chosen the life of Cain, oh, God, may their eyes be open to the goodness and the graciousness of God the Father, that there is a different way, there is a better way. It's the way of Abel, faith, and the way of Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us of all of our sins. And so this morning, we come before you and simply say, we choose you, and we choose to die to ourselves and let you live in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand together?